scripture reading today is taken from Luke 18. Luke 18, verses 1 through 17. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And he said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet this widow keeps bothering me. I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down with her her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God I thank you that I'm not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now they were bringing even infants to him, that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Our sermon text this morning is Psalm chapter 84. So I invite you to turn there at this time and we will read this together. Psalm 84, and I'll read the entire chapter. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rains also 
covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This psalm uh, is introduced to us as a psalm of the sons of Korah. And these were either musicians or doormen in the temple. Uh, They were of the Levite clan, and so they were dedicated to serving in the temple. And so this is written from a perspective of, of a person who doesn't periodically come to the temple, but someone who stays in the temple, who is in the temple probably every day. Notice that they speak of the temple as God's dwelling place. In verse 1, how lovely is your dwelling place. And that idea of the dwelling place of God is what I'd like us to consider primarily this morning. Where does the presence of God dwell in the world today? In the time of this writing, the presence of God dwelt in the temple. We see in the dedication of Solomon's temple that God came and dwelt in a physical way. But that's not the only place that God dwelt in the world. God has inhabited a a number of different spaces in the world he created. God's first dwelling place was in the garden in this newly created world that he created. And here Adam and Eve walked and talked with God, and there was open and full fellowship between man and God. But sin entered the hearts of Adam and Eve, and they rejected the presence of God to gain what was promised to them of equality. They gave up the presence of God in hopes for equality with him. Rather than accept their place within God's order, they chose to go their own way apart from God. And God's presence left the garden. Or we should say that God excluded Adam and Eve from his presence in the garden. In the story of Israel, we see God returning in presence at the mountain Sinai. God came down and spoke with Moses and gave him the law. God's presence was on the mountain, and we see the people of the children of Israel being afraid of God's presence. We see God's presence being a fearful and awful thing. 
Later on, God comes down again as the children of Israel built the tabernacle according to his specifications, and he came and he dwelt in the tabernacle. And then we see God transitioning from the tabernacle into Solomon's temple. And then, more closely and more clearly, God came down in the presence of his son, in human flesh, and he walked among us. God's presence was in his son. It was no longer held in a temple, but it was in his son. And after his death and resurrection, Christ ascended into heaven, but his presence came again in the Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit comes and doesn't dwell in a particular building, or he doesn't dwell in a particular geography or time frame as Jesus did, but he comes and he dwells among his people in their hearts. And so this presence that once dwelt in the garden, this presence that dwelt in tabernacle and temple, this presence who came among us as Christ now dwells in each of our hearts. And so as we consider what the psalmist is saying about the presence of God, let's consider it reminding ourselves that God's presence dwells in each of our hearts. And so for the psalmist writer, he was speaking about going to the temple, going to the presence of God. And it was less about the building, but it was about that he was going to the presence of God. And each of us must consider for ourselves, what does it mean to exist in the presence of God? In the psalm, we see three statements of blessing, and we'll use those as kind of our main ideas. We see in verse 1 that blessed are those who dwell in your house. We see in verse 4, Excuse me, that's verse 4. We see in verse 5, blessed are those whose strength is in you. And we see in verse 12, blessed is the one who trusts in you. If you notice, the psalm is split by the selahs into four kind of equal equal points or equal ideas. And these blessings are within those four. So let's consider them uh, within what the writer speaks about that blessing. And so in verses 1 to 4, we see him thinking about what does it mean to dwell in the house of God? What are the blessings that are there? He begins in verse 1 by saying, How lovely is your dwelling place. How lovely is the place in which you dwell. Now, I don't think the writer was speaking about the glory of the temple. But he was speaking about the presence of God that was within the temple that made it a lovely place. And he says, I long to be there. My heart and my body find rest and joy there. Most of us ascribe this sort of idea to our homes. My heart and my body find rest and joy there. 
But we don't necessarily think about that in terms of the building that we call our home. But it's generally with the people and with the presence that is there that we find rest and joy. So the writer is declaring that he longs to be in the presence of God. It is only in the presence of God that his heart and his body finds rest and joy. He also gives a bit of a boundary for the presence of God. He says, even the sparrows and the swallows are welcome there. Even the most worthless, the smallest, are welcome there. What is the result of those who dwell in your house, those who seek to dwell, those who are blessed to dwell in the house? They praise. See, when we are in the presence of God, when we are longing to dwell with God, when his presence is among us, it automatically forces us to praise him, to consider him as above us, to consider him as worthy of our praise. The second blessing we see is that blessed are those whose strength is in you. We see the image uh, here of those whose heart, uh, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. And it's kind of interesting what various people say about these highways. Uh, Some would regard this as the pilgrims who were leaving their homes and traveling to the temple. And their heart is set on something that they long for. Their heart is is strengthened by the fact that they were going to the presence of God. And so they go through suffering and they go from strength to strength because their end goal is the presence of God and being in it. I think another, another way that this can be read in, is that in whose heart are the highways to Zion in that God is present within us and he is writing his paths on our heart, if you wish to say. If we are seeking the presence of God, then we see that it enables us to go through suffering. And so it uses this interesting image that as they went through the valley of of Baca, which was a valley of suffering, that they turned the place of suffering, they turned the place of death, into a place that had living springs. And so as they were seeking after the presence of God, his presence was part of what they were doing and where they were going. And they brought life and vitality to broken down places. What is the response of those whose strength is in God, whose strength is in his presence? We see that they pray. They know that this strength that brings forth life, this strength that enables them to pursue the presence of God doesn't come from within. And so they are people of prayer who beg of God's presence. The 
And thirdly, we see in verses 9 to 12, blessed is the one who trusts in you. And we see the image here within this section of the shield. Behold our shield. They name God as their shield. Now we know uh, the shields of, of the weaponry of this time that protected one from the blows of another. And in our modern shields, we're trying to create these systems that will prevent missiles and things from coming into a country. But a shield is there for protection, to protect against one who would do harm. Skipping ahead a little bit, but it's interesting how the response to those who trust in God and who see him as his shield is that they walk uprightly. Again, I think this tweaks our understanding of God's moral law. God's moral law is not there just because God said so. Or because God decided that people shouldn't do that and they should do this. It's there because he is our shield. Because his law protects us from evil. Because his instruction keeps us in the way of righteousness, in the way of blessing. I think parents would probably recognize this reality with their children. Um, you know, if, if you just have a bunch of arbitrary rules for no, you know, just because you said so, um, you're going to have a hard time helping children to understand them. But if you can help them see that the reason they can't hold a sharp knife or the reason they should be careful going down steps or the reason they shouldn't run among traffic is to shield them, is for their safety, is for their blessing, is for their long-term help. Then, even in their immaturity, I think they can understand at least a bit. But that's what the law of God is for us. It is our shield. Another image that we see within verses 9 to 12 is that these, these men who served in the temple were saying that a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. That being in the presence of God for one day is better than being in the presence of any other thing. In fact, they say, I'd, I'd rather be a doorkeeper, which, quite interestingly, some of them were. Um, I'd rather be someone of no status in the presence of God than to be someone of status and importance elsewhere. So in this psalm, we see this glorious image of the presence of God and, and how the psalm writer was compelled by it. And I wonder how many of us feel a, a little bit disconnected from a reality like this. We look at our own lives and, and look at 
how often we don't long for the presence of God. We, we long for our own presence. We long for our own way. And as we consider the, the kind of joyful attitude that this writer has, uh, how often do we not recognize that in our own lives? And we, we see ourselves kind of forcing ourselves to exhibit these attitudes. And so I'd like us to look at the, the three prescriptions, the prescriptions of praise, of prayer, and of upright living. And maybe we ought to consider them uh, a little bit in reverse to the way the psalm gives them. Maybe we should consider them a diagnostic for a heart. when we find ourselves in a place where our heart is not apt to praise, maybe that's a result from not dwelling with God and not dwelling in his presence. And I think our human response is to say, well, let me find the right kind of music, let me find the right kind of something, and let me do something to praise God, and that will that will somehow change the condition of my heart. And I think the psalm says, no, pursue dwelling with God. Dwell with him in his word. Dwell with him in prayer, and it will force you to praise him. Because when we are in his presence, we must praise him and acknowledge him. It's the same way when we enjoy the goodness or a good gift of another person. Uh, one of the advantages of, of being uh, the sound guy at the women's conference was the food. And, you know, when you're presented with that, glory, if you wish to say, you have to praise it. That reality happens in our lives in very common ways. When we're in the presence of something exemplary, we often have to speak about it and praise it. In the same way, we find ourselves not praising God and we find ourselves apart from God. The answer is to go and dwell with him, to be in his presence. And that presence will bring forth praise. Secondly, when we find ourselves relying upon our own strength, We find that our life, rather than, uh, than bursting with vitality, we find the things under our influence uh, being problematic and being a struggle. And again, the proposal I believe that he gives us, the response to those who are putting their strength in the Lord, is that, is that they pray. And they beg of God to do what only he can do, to bring glory from our brokenness. So it is in in prayer, in coming into the presence of God, that we are then strengthened to bring God's presence into our life. And then finally, when our walk strays from the path of God to our own path, Let us return to trust in God, to see his law in the way as a shield that protects us from evil. 
I think when we allow our feet to stray, when we allow our hands and our eyes to stray from what God intends for us to be, then we are in a way separated from his presence because we, we realize that we have walked away from his presence. And walking again in obedience allows us to see his presence among us, to live out his presence in our lives. And it is then again his presence as a shield that protects us from evil. The common denominator in all of these is God's presence. And our necessity to be walking in and walking with his presence among us. And so I I would ask each of us to consider what are the ways in which we walk in God's presence, in which we acknowledge his presence within each of us, and in which we pursue it. I think uh, this passage would help us to consider that by praise, by prayer, and by obedience, we live well in the presence of God. Let's pray. Father, again this morning, it is good to be in your presence together. Father, I pray that you would help each of us to see that you are present in our lives, that you are present in our hearts. As 1 Corinthians 6 says, our body is your temple. Father, help us not to flee your presence, but to pursue your presence. To pursue your presence by prayer, by your word by your presence in other people, in community. And may we, in our pursuit of your presence, may we display that by being a blessing to those around us, by bringing life and vitality to broken places, by obedience, seeing your presence as a shield that protects us from harm and from danger. Father, may you do this in each of our hearts. For the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen.